Another interesting edition of Spot Africana. It's been quite a while when we brought you a production, but today promises to be exciting. From now on, we're kicking off with very interesting stories, interviews about people, persons who are doing great things um, in Africa. As you know it, on Spot Africana, we like to talk about our successes, talk about our problems, our challenges, but everything is African-centric. Uh, my name is Oba Adiola Amokomo, and for the next few minutes or so, I'm going to be taking a trip in the world of sports, football, particularly on this occasion. As usual, you can always listen to our podcast on all the various podcast directories, such as Spotify, Google Podcast. Apple, and many more. All you just need to do is type in Sports Africana and it's going to pop up on your search engine and listen to all our previous editions. I'm sure you'll enjoy them and um, we hope to continue um, never to stop. Today promises to be exciting. I've decided to look into a topic which has been a major problem in Africa, which is youth development. I mean, probably doing, I'm talking about youth development, doing it the right way, having the right infrastructure, having the right conduit or the conveyor belt for proper youth development. It's no news that African has one of the best natural talent when it comes to football players. Nigeria particularly has one of the most exports of football players after Brazil, it is generally said. So we've got the talent, but the problem lies with developing the talent and getting them to be able to play at the highest level for a very long time. And we've had various issues that plague us due to age practices and many other factors. And it will amaze you to know that um, the Under-17 World Cup has been won by Nigeria for a record of five times. And Ghana, too, I think, has won it about three times. But those victories or those um, achievements have not been without some stain on the reputation of the age great competitions, particularly as far as it concerns Under-17 and Under-20 at the world level. But today, in the midst of all that, we have people who... I've decided that, okay, we can do something about this. We can begin to fix this problem. Brings me with pleasure to, I mean, someone I've followed for a very long time, bring to you someone who has been at the forefront of changing the narratives as far as it concerns youth development uh, from a football perspective. The proprietor and founder of Me Palace Football Academy, and they are based in Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria. Now, Jos is situated right in the center of Nigeria. It's a very, very cool environment and very, very lovely environment. And that is Mr. Emmanuel Aduku. Mr. Aduku, thanks for joining us on Sports Africana. It's such a wonderful privilege to have you. Your life, my pleasure. Great job, you guys are doing. Fantastic job. I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy to see that someone is finally focusing on 
not just Nigeria, but African football, focusing on African sports and development at this level. And that finally, we are able to tell our story the African way, not exactly how the rest of the world and especially Europeans want to tell it. That we have our own storytellers, because as my people say, until the lions have their own storyteller, the story of the hunt will always favor the hunter. It's a pleasure to be here, Diola. Good afternoon. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time out. And I know um, for our listeners there, Mr. Emmanuel actually went to Uyo, which is Akwai Bomb State in the south part of Nigeria, to follow the, the first CAF Confederation Cup final, which was played in Nigeria between Orlando Pirate and Bekerina of Morocco. And he's taking time out to be able to be with us on this interview. So it's hugely um, appreciated. And talking about Joss, I mentioned just earlier on because just has actually produced a lot of traditionally has produced great footballers, Sheikh Gordek Bami, the mathematician, Aloysius Atwebu, Benedict Akwebu. These were players that were raised or they grew up in John Mikel Obi. John Mikel Obi. So tell us a bit about first before we go into that, can you tell us a bit about yourself? So Diola, I'm a very quiet person, very you don't find me around often. My first profession is banking, very unusual. So a lot of people don't know I work for a bank. I'm head of um, business development for a bank in Abuja. Football for me is a passion. I played football growing up. I played football up until a couple of years ago and played football actively. I didn't make a profession out of it, but I played actively. I'm passionate about anything that's people-related and development-oriented. And the reason is simple. We live in a country and times where they say, get it quick syndrome. So we want everything to happen today. We want everything to happen like yesterday. So you go to our schools. We're trying to manufacture results. We, not, we don't want to study. And it cuts across every single facet of life. We're speaking to young people now in at a time when it's fashionable to go into crime just because people feel that they need to have it quickly. Juxtapose that with saying we want to do stuff properly, we want to do things properly, and we want to get a system that works. You spoke about the conveyor belt earlier. That takes time. That takes a process. That takes effort. It takes a lot of planning. That takes a bit of deliberate manipulation of the system to ensure that once that conveyor belt kicks in, it continues to run. It's just like running your program. If you cut the corners, in another few months or a year or so, you are off the screen because you haven't put in the right processes. It's the same thing. And every aspect of the society, so whether it's our finance, it's our politics, it's our education, it's our religion, it's only as good as the society in which it thrives. So rising above that society to be able to do things properly I'm sure we'll talk about some of those challenges later. But so I work for a bank. I'm married. I have four kids, two boys who play beautiful football. I have a daughter who's passionate about football as well. I live in Joss. It's funny. I come from Benue State, but I've lived in Joss since 1992. So Joss is home for me. I've traveled around Nigeria. I've looked at the scenarios in Nigeria. And for me, what drives me most is to solve a persistent problem. Talking about that Why? problem. Talking yes, about that so, problem, we will come to yeah. that problem because that's the reason why I actually brought you here. I just want to talk yeah, so about so that's me. If I, that's me in a nutshell, Viola. So you mentioned a problem. And before we talk about that problem, we're talking about youth development. 
a good conveyor belt for proper football development. Nigeria has won the Under-17 World Cup five times, and we're yet to win it at the Under-20 level. But generally, when you want to talk about football on a global scale, our successes lies in youth or the age-grade competition. But in spite of all this, it still does not take away from the plague that has been associated with our past achievements, which is age malpractices, cheating, in quote. Even though MRI scan have come to sort of reduce the malpractices to some degree. Now, what, in your opinion, in spite of the cause of the age malpractices that we are experiencing in our football, and it's not even just an age-grade competition, even in our league, you find a player that is probably supposed to be a little bit advanced in years, claiming to be much younger in order to be accepted in the football club. What do you think is the reason for this problem? Nigeria, Diola, in one word, Nigeria. Let's start from the let's start from the grassroots. I'll share with you the reason why we started the football academy called Miss Palace in Just. A couple of years ago, we were scheduled to play an under-17 qualifier against Nigeria Republic about five, six years ago. I tinkered with the idea of starting an academy. Should we start? Shouldn't we start? How do we start? Where do we start from? And a week to that qualifier, the MRI you spoke about a few seconds ago was introduced. 80% of the players in that under-17 team filled the MRI. Nigeria needed to raise an under-17 national team in seven days. We had had a team in camp over three months and 80% of that team filled the MRI. Of course, you don't raise a team that plays a tournament in seven days. So we were knocked out by who? Niger. Niger, country of how many people? Over two legs. That was the day that my academy was bested. And I said, look, we shouldn't be at that stage now where because of lack of information, because somebody has refused to do the right things, it's always a fire brigade approach. This was six, seven years ago. Well, let's go back to three or four weeks ago. Nigeria just won the under-20 Wafu B tournament last night. That team was assembled in three weeks. The luck we have, the other is that there's no MRI in under-20. This is a program on air. I won't be quoted. We will look at the documents for those players. It says they are all, all under 20 years of age. But Jola, me and you know that there's no 20-year-old playing in the Nigerian professional first division. If they are, they are not 10% of that first division. So where did we find these guys that were assembled in three weeks who just won this tournament? That's story for another day. We have an under-17 camp currently going on. Jola, you need to come into Abuja and see what's going on in that camp. We had 130 players listed. And after the first round of MRI screening, over 100 of them had filled. How did we get these players into camp in the first instance without adequate information to tell us that these players are 16 years and under? Who's the gatekeeper? Who's supposed to have the access to? How did the players get invited in the first place? Who invited them? How did they screen them? How did they check their ages? How did they check their documents? Or did we just throw our national under 17 team? Now, let's go to Europe, Diola. We're talking about Jude Billingham in Borussia Dortmund. We knew when to walk or played for England at 17 years and a few days over. We knew when Wairuni burst onto the scene at 17 years, 18 years. So it's easy. If you Google a European footballer, Diola, it's as detailed as you can find out which doctor took the delivery at what hospital and on what day of the week. Why is information difficult to access in Nigeria? You spoke about the MRI scan, Diola. That MRI scan is a major scam. 
So it's not, from what the doctors have explained to us, a proper determinant of a player's age. What the MRI scan does is to try to get an idea of an age range that a player should fall within. So I've heard so many ridiculous theories around MRI. Some people have said to me, oh, when your players are going for MRI, tell them not to lift weights. Tell them to stop working out in the gym. Tell them to drink lots of water. Tell them to stop eating protein in their diet. Tell them to stop eating eggs. Tell them, and I'm like, how did we get to this? Is a European, is Jude William told to stop eating eggs because he's going to feel an MRI scan? Is somebody regulating his diet and say, oh, look, Jude, you have to drink only water or you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't eat this. So we have a fundamental problem. The biggest cause of that problem is the fact that Nigeria is in a hurry. The coach of any first division team, as he's hired at the beginning of the season, usually he's hired two weeks to the start of the season. That's when we hire coaches. Then the guy has one week to do his preseason. I don't know where else it happens in the world. He has one week to, you know, gather 80, 90, 100 players, find the 30 who play for him that season and feed them into the position. He's expected to play champagne football. The mandate he's given when he's hired is that you must win the league or you must be on the continent. How's that coach going to play youngsters? How's he going to find a budding 15, 16-year-old and he says, okay, we need to start blooding these guys in our professional league. We need to give this guy 10 minutes, 20 minutes when we are playing an away game. How is the youngster going to gather experience? Because the coaches are constantly under pressure, there's no room to develop the talents. Therefore, we must wait for ready meet, and therefore, we must cheat necessarily. Is the under-17 national team coach who has been sent to the Wafu tournament, is he expected to fail? No. As he's going, the mandate is he must qualify for the under-17 outcome and he must qualify to the World Cup. Nobody looks at under-17 as a development cadre. So if the coach today fails, I mean, there was a, a time when the French coach at the under-17 team who brought in the generation of Paul Pogba, he had five years. And in those five years, France didn't qualify for the under-17 tournament. But he knew that he was building for the national team and they were bringing players through who were going to play for France in another five or six years. Today, all of those guys are superstars. They are doing very well. Will a Nigerian get the same opportunity? We have a team that is supposed to be the bedrock for our under-17 team. They are called the Future Eagles. It's an under-15 cadet team. As I speak to you today, that cadet team hasn't been assembled in two years. It should ordinarily be seamless. That cadet team has played two years. They transit to the under-17 team. We have 60 players that we can guarantee you are under 17 and the development starts from there. But because nobody pays attention to it. The second reason, Diola, is the funding. If we are going to AFCON, money will come out for AFCON. This under 20 team that traveled, somehow money came out for them to travel. When it's time for the under 17, right now they're in camp, money will come out for them to camp. Barely a few weeks to the under 17 AFCON. What happens off-season? In senior climbs, I'll give you an example in Japan. In every region, once every month, the under-15 team comes together. They train at the regional levels, and then once a month, they come to the center to train, and there are national selectors who have an eye on these children. So it's impossible for a player to bust out in the Japanese football scene that nobody has heard about. It's not going to happen. Everybody knows it's impossible in England for a superstar to just out of nowhere, bust out. The under-20 team that just came from the Afcon, uh, for me, again, my most recent example, we are saying, oh, the goalkeeper is fantastic. 
Why didn't we hear about him before this tournament? Why are we only seeing him? And this guy's 20, supposedly. So he's been playing football for upward of, say, give or take five or six years. Why haven't we heard about him? You see the guys who they say, oh, this guy is man of the match in two or three consecutive games. Why didn't anybody know about him? Where was he? Who, who developed him? Where did he run his skills? Where did he pick up his basics? What academy did he play football for? We have a problem. And until we deal with that problem of impatience, we hire coaches. My coaches in the academy and I will quarrel every single time. When they've told the kids, so we, you know, we are going to go out and win this year, and then I walk into the dressing room and I say, gentlemen, we are here to have fun. If you guys can complete a sequence for me of 10 consecutive passes, I consider the game won. You can go ahead and lose that game by 10 goals. It's development. Children need to be taught to enjoy the basics, enjoy the rudiments, and to play without pressure. If that doesn't happen, we are not going to build. I'm going to go back and speak to you again about the development of players. Now, before you talk about that, we're going to go on the little break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the academy and development of players. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sport Africa. We've been talking about problems associated with football youth development. We have Mr. Emmanuel Adoku, East Palace Football Academy, which is based in Jos. They are doing exceptionally well. Welcome back, uh, Mr. Emmanuel, and thanks for joining us again. I've been hugely enlightened by some of the information that you've provided. Even some of the things that we're talking about, I don't even know about them, but Lali, when you cited example of the coach that developed the likes of Pogba and Co. Now, because of this problem we have in Africa, Lali, in the sub-Saharan part of Africa, when it comes to age malpractices, you decided to... The football academy. Talking about academy in Nigeria, all manners of academy, literally <laughs> everywhere. Now, the first time I heard about it was on the radio program in Lagos, in Lagos Talks. Now, that's the first time I heard it. I think about two years ago, there about yeah. I think it was Mr. Shepard, but there Charles Anderson. Yeah. That was the first time, yeah. and it gave me so much joy that at least there's a flicker of hope. Yeah. So tell, tell us, how did you get about starting the Football Academy and the constraints and challenges that you're faced with and how you're able to surmount some of these challenges? Okay, so for me, um, when I hear about Football Academy, the first thing that you hear is that the Academy is meant to be set up to make money. So just gather a group of guys together, twenty between 20 and 25 years old, um, have a coach come in, polish them for two weeks, then look for a European contract. Doesn't matter where it is. Just get the guys into Europe and begin to make dollars. And it's like printing money. So that's the football academy mentality in Nigeria. So when I said we're starting a football academy, I spoke to a couple of coaches and they said, ah, oh God, this your model is novel. Nobody, nobody, we don't, this is not how we do it in Nigeria. And I said, yes, we were not doing a Nigerian academy. We're doing an academy that we are hoping will be the best out of Nigeria, best out of Africa, hopefully, and will compete favorably with European style academies. So we opened our doors to the children at eight years. 
in the first set. Novel, not something anybody does in this country. And I remember telling them this was an eight-year project. So we opened the academy doors at eight to expect that and eight years after that, the kids are 1920. And I did say to them, whoever we can't find the club for in Europe, after eight years, we're not going to become a football club. We are willing to release that player. But what if football doesn't end up being the source of livelihood, sustenance, or what the person wants to do. And we do have a few children who are coming through and saying, oh, I want to be a musician, or I want to be an engineer. We decided we would provide them with education as an alternate investment in developing human resource. So the first aim of the academy, the overriding aim is not to make money. Hopefully we'll make some money along the way as we come, but the first and the biggest for me catch is we will create better Nigerians. We'll give value to a few children who ordinarily didn't believe they'll be where they are today. So we've picked up kids from the street who ordinarily will not go to school, but have a football talent. And we've given them an education, we've given them a life, and hopefully we've been able to impact communities just by doing this. We currently have 75 children in the academy. We are four years old at the moment. And we're trudging step by step, like every other passing business. The first challenge you're going to have is when you are alone in an industry, then there's a problem. The first challenge we had was finding competition for the children in our football academy, because every other academy around us had 20 or 25 year olds. We couldn't find games for the children to play. And so gradually we knew we couldn't walk this walk alone. So we went to the other grassroots teams that had children that age, driven by passion. And you will find this in every community. Some guy who has interest in football, we gather 15, 20 children, all of them shoeless, playing in one dead patch by one corner and using um, two blocks as goalposts. If they are lucky, they find time allocated to them to play in a nearby primary school after school. And we got to these guys and we said, hey guys, you know what? Let's even organize you guys into proper football teams. Today, as a result of that ongoing effort, there's a league going on in Joss. You won't believe it for under 10s, under 12s, under 14s, and under 16s. Genuine age. And genuine age. Because we do the screening ourselves, we have a biometric system where every player who plays for any of those other teams, once we do that screening and that child is captured as having played for that team at a particular age, we have that the data on that child. So anywhere in Nigeria that that child goes to, we can tell you, no, this kid was 13 years in 2018. This kid was 12 years in 2020. He certainly cannot be 15 now in 20. Will tell you clearly. So for us, that's also helping to get a system that works. The second thing is getting people who believe in this system. Getting new converts has been a Herculean task, I must tell you, Diola. Getting our administrators to buy into this. You won't believe that with all of this football we have going on in Plato, there are games going on in that league this weekend. You are not going to find many football people coming to those games or even supporting that league. We're not saying give us money, but go there and even have a look at what we're doing. You won't see them. So many of them will feign ignorance. Oh, we didn't know what's going on, but it's fine. Hopefully someday the right people will run football in Nigeria and they will sit up, they will take notes, and they will see that this is the only way to go. What's the next biggest problem we have is the issue of funding. So many of these teams, all we do is we are lucky we found foreign sponsorship. So every season we get four or five brand new sets of jerseys for all of our teams. Now, when 
this comes, what do we do? We take the older set and we give it to the teams that came second runner-up in the league or who won the league or who were top three. And that way you find out that the teams are now slowly beginning to look like football teams. Some of them who couldn't afford jerseys, at least when they come to the games, they now have jerseys. And if you look us up online, December Women League, which has been going on, this is the third season now, you'll find out that the teams are even beginning to look resemble football academies. Now, the teams are slowly beginning to take documentation seriously. When they take a child, they fill out the forms, they ask for the child's birth certificate. Teams are asking for immunization records. This for us is the only way that we can positively and continuously affect the football ecosystem so that documentation becomes a requisite qualification for a child to belong to an academy. That way you don't have a JGO coach who sprang up and nobody heard about him in Nigeria before. We don't only see Amokachi the day he turns up in a super ego shirt and we go like, oh, who's this kid? Where did he, where did he cut his teeth from? So in Plateau State now at least, all of the very big talents in the various clubs I can tell you we have a database on them. We can tell you exactly when they started playing in our league. We can tell you what club they played for first. We can tell you how many games they played in that season. We can tell you if the kid is a 30 or 40 goal a season player. And we have all of these statistics. So for us, that is the way to go. And until we have, you find there are a few other stakeholders who are doing that. Shifsonami at Remo is building something fantastic. There's the Lagos Echo project, beautiful project. There's another project going on in Ekiti that I'm so proud of because we've got a joint partnership with them and we work with Chief Bayer, who's the current chair of the Ekiti FA. There's a bit going on in Abuja now. So slowly, that candle is beginning to light up in different parts of Nigeria. Wow. But until we get government on board, until we get policymakers on board, until this becomes a deliberate focus for the people who run football in Nigeria, we, we all keep singing out of different hymn books, Diola. Believe it or not, I'm so, I'm so impressed and blown away by the achievement, even however little it may be. I'm really impressed by what you've done so far. And it's obvious that the, the light is beginning to spread around. Now, you mentioned something about until you have policymakers, the government, it takes me down memory lane to the music industry in Nigeria, for example. Growing up, I used to hear a lot about the body of, of uh, riding with looking after musician, P-Man at the time. Yeah. They were making a lot of campaign to the government that until they help with copyright issues and everything, but the government did not really help. But certain individuals within the musical industry decided to do something. Same with Nollywood, same with the comedy industry. And I'm sure you will agree with me that this industry have attained a height that is giving us global relevance today, yet without the support of the government. I personally, even though I've had this debate with people, but people don't seem to see what happens. I'm of the opinion that football can get to that point. What do you think in your own little way are you doing to attract or to get the private sector to begin to look in your direction? Because I personally think that is the way to go, to be able to inoculate yourself from the lack of participation of the government agencies to support football development. What are you doing to probably get recognized in a different direction, particularly the private sector. Because I believe what you're doing is something the private sector could help get to that height. Okay, so Diola, how well is private sector doing in Nigeria would be the first question. We grew up knowing 
Pojo, we grew up knowing Dunlop, we grew up knowing Mokafom, we grew up knowing so many big names, PZ. How many of them are still in existence? So step one, the private sector is struggling to stay alive. Getting them to support us so they don't have the money to throw around like they probably had in the early 90s, maybe the early 2000s. But they are doing their bit. Two, who are the people who did the work in, in Nollywood, in the music industry, in comedy? There are people in that industry. There are people who are comedians or people who are actors, who are actresses, who said, look, this thing is enough. Diola, who are the people running football? Football has become a reward for political success. I mean, look at ministerial appointments in Nigeria. The guy who's head of the lawyers is always a lawyer. The minister of health is always a doctor. What happens when it comes to sports? They go, we've allocated all the portfolios. Who's the guy who doesn't have a portfolio? Say, oh, that guy from that. Say, okay, just give him the sports ministry. And that's how we've ended up with our last three or four sports ministers. Which one of them is a sports person? So first, you need somebody who understands sports, then understands football particularly, to be able to run football. Two, let's go to our state FAs. Let me give you a simple example. In the English FA, I'm a football academy. My annual registration is £50. That's not a lot of money. But when I pay that £50, the British FA sends three of the coaches from that particular academy on a coaching course for that year. The cost of that coaching course is in a neighborhood of 1,200 British pounds. I paid only 50 pounds as affiliation. I can see the benefits of 1,200 pounds, direct benefits. Is there any academy who won't register with them? Is there any academy who they will speak to and say, here are the guidelines, here are the rules. This is what we want you to do to develop youth football that won't throw that line. Because you don't want to get kicked out. In Nigeria, they find the civil servants and they say, oh, the guy is related to His Excellency the Governor. Then they say, okay, let him go and run the football club. Don't worry, we are sending money to that football club. So that's how the guy is going to make his own money. Or they say, oh, you know that guy, he delivered his word in the last election. And say, oh, let him go and run the state FA. How do I explain to those guys that there should be a deliberate policy around youth football, that that state team should begin to nurture players at under eight, under 10, under 12, and under 15? Small reason why our Premier League clubs do not have youth sites is the people who run the clubs. Now, let's go further down the grassroots. People like us who have football academies, in Nigeria, the competition is called truth. Instead of us to understand that collaboration is the new way to go, we are all worried, ah, okay, if this guy gets close to me, he takes up the slots I used to have for sending players to Europe. Oh, if this guy gets in. But there's more than enough money in the market for every single academy owner. But we need to have an umbrella. Somebody needs to bring us together. We spoke about PIMA not being very effective, but still, even the guys who brought the performing musicians together still use PIMA to drive that process. We have to find the right people. And I'm happy that football is almost at a crossroad in Nigeria. We're almost at that stage where we're having NFF elections again. We must elect people who have a clear, let me say that again, clear blueprint for youth football development. If you made me minister today, the first thing I'll do is we shut down basketball for two years. Politics, yes. I'll shut down youth football first for five years. And in those five years, we'll go back 
and go and correct all of the monumental flaws and potholes that we have now. I shared with an FA, a particular FA chairman, I'm not going to tell you what state it comes from. And I said, if you have academies in your state, under 13, get them to come together every two weeks at the main ball of the stadium and train. If you don't do anything for these children, exposing them to that stadium, the first day we went to a big stadium to play, our children were 11 years at that time. We have two forwards, Chris and Yusuf. Both of them spent the first 15 minutes of the game looking around the stadium. They forgot they were in a football match. They had never been to a stadium that was that big or that glamorous in their entire lives. So if we expose these children, if that's all we do for them, that exposure, we are helping them become better people. Why do our footballers go abroad and it takes them two seasons to settle? Nobody has taught them that, oh, you won't always get fufu and draw soup. Nobody has taught them that you are not always going to get rice and beans exactly how you find it in Nigeria. Nobody has prepared our players psychologically for some of the racist abuses they get. We have a partnership with Minds 05 and we have a partnership with Olympic Leganes. When we have their coaches do coaching training for our coaches, because that's one of the benefits we get from some of those associations, some of the simple drills that their six, seven-year-olds are taught to do in Europe, our children are 15 and 16 and they are still learning them. So if Europe puts its academies on pause, for another five years, we haven't caught up with them. So what are we saying? It's time to forget that these academies are meant to make money, have a structure. And that's why I keep talking about the policies, the structures, the processes. It must be that each time an academy is going to open its doors, there must be a regulation that says this academy cannot take children over 10 years of age. So you can see clearly, the NFL must say, look, for every academy that's starting now, the children have to be under 10 years of age. You must show us clearly a blueprint to develop these children today are 16 or 17. Before the next person, you must show us your financial capacity. How are you going to raise the money that helps you keep that academy open until the children are 17 so that you don't have, you know, slave traders masquerading as football academy owners and people are only interested in, oh, if we can just put these guys across the... Man. Why should a Nigerian player be selling for $100,000? Why should we take $50,000 to transfer a Nigerian player? The Brazilians are transferring 17-year-olds at $60 million, $20 million. The difference is that the Brazilians have data. They can tell you when that child was born. They can tell you what clubs he played for. They can tell you how well that child is trained. The Brazilian kid is not better than the Nigerian child. I mean, that's, that's, even, thing. that's even far-fetched. Even the, the Egyptian league or the Tunisian league, they sell their players for as much as two to three, four million pounds in charge. Exactly, exactly. So a, a North African team, for instance, will come in here and take a, a player what, $500,000. That's like our biggest transfer. And that's the Iwala, the chap from Aimba who moved to North Africa. Why should that be the biggest transfer Nigeria is celebrating? This is the same Nigeria that a couple of years ago, Yekini Amukachi and Keshi all moved for princely sums and moved to the top five tiers in European football. Why is it that the average Nigerian now, apart from Victor Simon, who's playing in the top five clubs in Europe, we're all grown in Europe. Why Nigerians not moving straight from here to... Diola is not... I'm not sure we'll finish this interview in one day. <laughs> There's so much wrong with our football. There's so much that we need to correct. But uh, like I said, I'm happy. It seems there's light at the end of the tunnel. Looks like the candles are being lit strategically in different places. Looks like we're beginning to create that awareness slowly and surely. And hopefully, my prayer is hopefully, let God give us that divine accident that lets us elect the right person to run our football federation. Maybe that change we're all looking for will start from there. And as we begin to round up, 
what would you say are the milestones that the academy has achieved and what is the response of people within your access? What has the response been like so far? We, of course, we have people who think we're trying to show them more, who think we're trying to make them look like they don't know their jobs. We've learned to live with them. We have two partnerships, like I told you, a couple of partnerships. So the first step is we've been able to get two schools, Morumba and St. John's, working with the academy. So the kids are in school. First set are in SS3 now, they graduate this year. We have a partnership with Ola Hospital. So it's for the first time on record that we've got players who have proper medicals twice every year and have hospitals that they can access. We have a partnership with Masita, so we're getting equipment, we're getting jerseys, we're getting medical supplies as well out of Holland. First out for an academy in Nigeria. We have two working partnerships now with Mines Five and with Leganes for transfer of knowledge, for knowledge sharing. And now Leganes makes his first visit to just starting coincidentally tomorrow. So the team from Leganes will arrive in Nigeria, will arrive just. They'll work with us for a week. So they're looking at players, they're looking at players who can play for them. They're looking at how the academy is being run and how they can support us. They're going to be at our permanent site to see how exactly we can work together. We are playing a brand of football that is hopefully recognized in and around Nigeria as individual and unique to Miss Palace. So it's got European-style coaching blended with Nigerian-style footballing. Very unique. We write out of the Miss Palace Bible. And we've built facilities that I would say apart from Remo Stars on equal in any part of the country. So slowly we're affecting our host community. Slowly we're affecting the football ecosystem. And in another two or three as I dare to say that we'll be running a model that everybody hopefully will struggle to keep pace with. Wow. Mr. Emmanuel Otoko, I'm extremely delighted that you were able to grace us with your presence. You've given us so much information and above all, you've given us so much hope within the Nigeria football. And even though within the fraternity, it seems that there's this gloominess, particularly in the wake of the loss of qualification to Qatar, but we can begin to see a flicker of hope. Now, what message do you have for our listeners around the world, particularly as it concerns football development? What optimism should they hold as per football development that you want to pass across to our listeners? We are coming slowly. We are coming surely. Things are beginning to change. We must not despair. And let me make this appeal to everybody who is in some position of authority. Please loosen up. Allow children the space, the time, and the opportunity to make mistakes. If a 12-year-old is not allowed to make mistakes in a 12-year-old tournament because we have 17 and 18-year-olds participating in that tournament, we are going to lose that generation. So allow the kids in the right age to play in the right age grade tournaments, allow them to make their mistakes. It's time for them to learn. And that way, Nigerian football can only be better for it. Thank you very much for joining us on Sports Africana. Thank you for taking us. Thank you for having me, brother. And you. I wish you safe journey back as you head back to Joss after. Thank you, Diola. Have a wonderful day. I look forward to speaking to you again, Diola. Thank you. Same here.
will be monitoring your program and your progress. There you have it, you. Uh, Mr. Emmanuel Adoku of the Mies Palace Football Academy. They're based in Jaws. They're doing greatly. They're doing good works. They're changing the narrative. And of course, they will really appreciate your support as well. We'll get the details and we'll let you know. So to come here again on another interesting national sport, Africana, have a wonderful day and stay blessed. <laughs>